What's up, guys? On today's show, we're just dying to recap our very first rookie draft of the 2020 season. We'll discuss overdrafted players, value picks, and players most likely to bust for the 2020 season and beyond. For more content, make sure to follow us at Tutty Talk on Twitter and Instagram. Let's roll. Streaming from beautiful Portland, Oregon, for all things fantasy football. This is the Tutty Talk Podcast. Barkley with a burst. Barkley down the sideline. Saquon Barkley. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. He did what? It's a C-Mac attack. I'm really not into dreams anymore, okay? I'm into nightmares. A lot of people ain't going to be able to take that over and 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 over again. You like that? You like that? Here are your hosts, Bryce Wells. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna put you on blast. Kevin Nelson. It's a damn shame because Pete Carroll is wasting Russell Wilson and there's nothing we can do about it. And Chase Daskalos. No! Lamar Jackson is gonna be a top five quarterback. Welcome back to the Tutty Talk Podcast. So good to be back here discussing fantasy football. We got to do our very first rookie draft of the 2020 season. It was, let's just say it was fucking awesome. It was everything I was hoping it was going to be. We were able to get everybody in one place, whether it was through Zoom or in the same room. And uh, we just we just really managed it well. We got everybody together and and everybody was super engaged. It, it, it felt like we were starting over with our league. Um, and it was just it's just the right time. Everybody's everybody's really zoned in on fantasy football right now in our league and, and with the rookie draft, it just makes it that much better. Uh, Kevin Chase, how how are we how are we doing today? Yeah, really good. Uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday and the weather's supposed to get really good here in Portland. Uh, Chase still down in Arizona, so the weather's always good down there. But uh, yeah, pumped to to be doing the pod tonight and and to recap this what was a really fun weekend um, a couple weekends ago. Yeah, I'm sweating out the 105 degree weather here in uh, in Arizona. I have to turn my AC off when we record because it's so loud and it just pumps it out. I don't <laughs> want my mic to pick it up. So an hour from now, I got sweat running down my face. But um, yesterday, I watched the Alex Smith E60. Uh, ESPN documentary. And for those of you that haven't seen it, it's a must watch. It's honestly, it's remarkable um, what Alex Smith had to go through, you know, and as fantasy gamers and fantasy owners, we get pissed when a guy gets hurt um, because all we see is just a loss of fantasy points, you know, but this really puts a perspective on that. And it's just so much deeper than that. 17 surgeries for Alex Smith. He literally had to make the choice between amputating his leg or trying to salvage it. Um, and he almost lost his life and you just don't really, you don't really think of that. It's, it's, it's truly remarkable, um, documentary. You gotta watch it, but on a happier note, I'm pumped for the show. Yeah. We've got a, another rookie draft coming up in a couple weeks. So that's going to be fun. I, having the, um, the last one, we kind of have got a little bit of a warm up and really got to feel this out. And with some, you know, the majority of the, the people from the same league in this one, It'll be interesting to see how things, uh, you know, play out in this next draft. But I think we need to go over kind of how we got everything set up, what 
what really entails a good draft? And Kevin, uh, I'd like you to help me out with that. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, first thing you really have to do is is get on Sleeper. If you're using ESPN or, you know, we've heard that my fantasy league's pretty good, but we we transitioned from that, didn't want to pay for it anymore. And really you get a, a pretty similar product um, without maybe, you know, I don't know, super dynasty centralized stuff, but you can still do your mock drafts and everything like that. Keep track of picks. Everything you need is in sleepers. So highly recommend moving your league over to that if you haven't done that to start. But yeah, like Bryce kind of, you know, introed with, we got everybody on Zoom and everybody in in one place. Um, four or five of us, you know, met for a round of golf before and, and kind of made a day out of it uh, despite everything going on in the world. And um, so we got everybody on there and it went really smooth. You know, it, it's like you're, <laughs> you kind of fear the same thing that the NFL kind of feared, which was, you know, technical difficulties or somebody not making it or, or something good to go wrong and nothing really did for us, which was really cool. Um, what I kind of suggest is, is having a, a physical big board or keeping that in like a Google sheets or Excel where you can track every pick and, you know, have that be your commissioner or somebody that just wants to volunteer to kind of keep track of that. We had like five guys doing it that were, you know, all on top of it. So when somebody asked, you know, about this guy still being on the board, um, there weren't any questions really. On top of that, we have a group text that, you know, we talk about everything from, you know, what's going on in the world to who's going to be, you know, online that night to, of course, fantasy football stuff. Um, so once you made a pick, it was reported in the Zoom call, in the group text, and then on the big board. So having multiple, you know, checkpoints basically for each pick rolling in, I think is another super good idea. And and we agreed on 10 minutes per pick. And that was about the right amount of time. You know, we had a couple guys going 10 minutes, like, Jesus, we're going to be here till 10 o'clock at night. And you know, I think we wrapped up, we started the draft at six. We wrapped up by like eight 45, nine o'clock. Um, it still takes a while, but um, you know, when you're going through trades and, and moving things around, every pick you know you're getting bombarded with offers it's so much different than you know doing a, a purely online draft where you're kind of at the the will of whatever is you know the timer on espn which is usually like two minutes or three minutes so um yeah everything re went really really well for us you know i think everybody was had a good time and and it's awesome to you know be doing these drafts right now with not a whole lot else going on you know there's no real excuse to to not do a little bit of research before and and i think that that's kind of a concern for a, a few guys in our league that you know just maybe aren't as into it which is totally fine but you know they realized that we had the draft coming up and and everybody i think came out of it feeling really good um despite where their teams were before the draft so all in all 10 out of 10 great job boys and we'll run it back in, in another league in um about a week and a half so i really like the 10 minute per pick um Deal. I think that was a that was just the right amount of time for for each pick. You know, there there were moments where, as a co commissioner, I did you know give a guy you know an extra thirty seconds or minute because trades were flowing. You know, there there was a lot of discussion per pick, and, and that's kind of what the league's been missing for a while. I know it's you know somewhat the off season off season, but during the season last year, there wasn't a whole lot of movement until the very end. So seeing everybody make plays uh, during the rookie draft was was just a blast, especially from people who aren't as active. Um, and I really liked that we threw in a non-tradable fourth round pick because every year you should ha you should have a pick. It doesn't matter if it's a flyer or not. You know you need to be involved in the draft, even if you trade everything away. So 
we we implemented that. That went really well. That was actually really fun. There was some decent value there. I mean, most for the most part, those guys might not pan out, but still fun to to pick one of those guys. Um, uh, we we kind of wanted to go over some of the surprising picks of this draft and um in between there's some trades so we'll we'll cover those as we kind of go down the list here um but to start it off the the first surprising pick of the draft was Joe Burrow at the 104 Joe Burrow at the 104 how how the hell did Joe Burrow fall to the 104 well we had a guy in our league who who liked Tua more and he took him at 101 Jonathan Taylor went at 102. Not that surprising at this point of of um, rookie drafts. A lot of people were very high on Jonathan Taylor. Uh, he's going a lot higher than than uh, people expected uh, a couple months ago. And I guess the question I'm going to pass off to Chase: Would it have been better to trade out of this pick, knowing that Joe Burrow now gives you essentially a consensus 101 value at the 104? See, at this point, when he's there, especially if you need quarterback, I'm not trading out of that. I'm going to soak up the the value that I was just gifted there, right? He's worth the 101 um, in most leagues. You need a quarterback. You get him at the 104. I'm not trading out of that. Um, I know you could potentially get a guy who's super horny for Joe Burrow and wants to fly up the board and throw something at you. If it was incredible, I mean, if there was a guy like – had 108, 109, 110, or two firsts and a second or something like that, then yes, I would consider it. Um, especially if you could fall back into a spot where you knew you where you if you need a quarterback, you knew you could get Justin Herbert and and replace Justin Herbert with or sorry, replace Joe Burrow with Justin Herbert plus two other a Jalen Rager and and like in this case a CD Lamb that f- fell um, later in the draft that we'll talk about. That's when it would be worth it. But I don't really think that's realistic so at that point you just you just have to count your blessings soak up the value take joe burrow 104 yeah i i thought that the guy who got joe burrow at the 104 got you know one of the better picks of the draft you know i i know it's only three spots down but the fact that you know if you were really a really quarterback needy team and that you didn't need to to move up three spots which would have been a, a hefty cost to do so uh, getting Joe Burrow at 104 is fantastic. I mean, you're m- more realistically looking at a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire um, or a CeeDee Lamb if you really wanted to reach a little bit more there. But uh, that pick was 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 so- was solid. I-, I was I was pumped for that guy in our league. He really needed a quarterback, and and that was the right time to take him. Yeah, I think the he was going to go with whatever quarterback fell to him. So the beauty of of a draft is you don't know what other guys value. You know, you could, you know, listen to our podcast and we have said that we like to a long-term more than Burrow. And, you know, maybe that plays a factor into it, or you're a Dolphins fan and you just want Tua, or you're a Bengals fan, you know, whatever, or you just take the first overall pick from the NFL draft, which happened to be Joe Burrow and fell down to him. So I think the, the guy who was picking here would have taken Herbert if the other two quarterbacks were gone, you know, it's just, Whatever falls to you that early in the draft is is what you're going to end up taking. So lucky for him, he got the 101 essentially uh, with Burrow. So after Burrow, 105 was J.K. Dobbins' pick. That's a pretty that's a pretty good spot for him. Uh, 106, 
this is this is what actually kind of blew us away in the draft. This was a this is where um, things got really interesting, and the owner took Jerry Judy at the 106. Now, I'm higher on Jerry Judy than most. I still don't think that that's a good spot to take Jerry Judy, knowing the consensus um, feeling towards Jerry Judy is that he is not even the third best receiver in this class on their boards. So this was a pick where the owner hasn't quite been as engaged in the league, um, and this is one of those picks where it was clear that he did not know his league very well. Had he known that Jerry Judy was not a sought-after piece and that he could have gotten him probably at the 201, which was that owner's next pick, um, that he he could have gotten him there instead. So this was a little bit of a reach, but I think in the end it, it'll still it'll still work out for him. Um, but why don't you guys tell me what you thought about that pick? The the great slide that we saw from a ton of receivers started with this pick. You know, I think if if CD our number one receiver, most people's number one receiver, even after landing at the Cowboys, which as Chase said last week isn't that bad and might be a really good thing for him. Um, I, I don't know. This was just so weird. It threw everybody off. And, you know, the the guy that took him said, hey, I got my guy. Like, uh, he was my number one wide receiver. Okay, man. Like, great. Half of the rest of the league didn't think that. So we just started to see this snowball effect of, of guys falling down and ending up, you know, middle, late second round, even into the third that we thought could go, you know, up in the first, early second. So, I mean, if if Jerry Judy's your guy, you believe in Drew Locke, you're a big Broncos fan like Bryce, have at it. But the 106, probably a little bit too early, especially for a team that needed, you know, running back depth. And this this was a team that's in total rebuild mode. So grabbing Jerry Judy, maybe not the best pick, um, given the value of the 106 right there and so many running backs still um, on the board. Yeah, Bryce, you nailed it on the head with what you started off with. You know, it's it's all about knowing the room and being able to play your cards right. And um, I understand if, well, first of all, 106, I'm either taking DeAndre Swift or Cam Akers um, before a wide receiver. But with that being said, you know, I was sitting there at 108, and then one other owner had actually 107, 109, 110. And I've made it clear that I don't necessarily, I'm not infatuated with Jerry Judy, and I don't think the owner at 107 109 or 110 was going to take him. So he would have been available at 201. So that's just a loss of value there, in my opinion. Um, I mean, know the room. I would have traded out of it. If you wanted Jerry Judy, move back, pick up pick up two seconds for it, um, knowing that you're going to get him there. Uh, and maybe somebody wants to come flying up to get one of the running backs off the board before they picked, or somebody wants to come up for CD Lamb, or another guy needs a quarterback, and now – Two and Burrow are gone, and Herbert goes off the board at 106. I don't know. There's so many options there that if that's me, I'm shopping that pick. Yeah, I, I would have preferred, like you said, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers. I also would have preferred Justin Herbert. I would have said Jalen Rager it belongs there. You could even make a case for Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, but that didn't happen. So moving on to the next pick. Chase, what would you do with this pick? Yeah, so I was sitting there at 108. Um, my choice was between – I was debating between CeeDee Lamb and DeAndre Swift. Um, I knew coming into this draft that I wanted another pick, and mainly I wanted two wide receivers because I know how deep this class was. So I was at one. I was at 109. Uh, no, gosh dang it. I was at 108. 
And I traded back with the 109 owner. He came in front of me, jumped in front of me. He also owned 107 and 110. So he took K Makers 107. I'm sitting on the clock 108. We had a deal. He backed out. And then I think last second, he thought I was going to take the, he thought I was going to take DeAndre Swift. I had decided on CD Lamb. I agreed to the trade with him, moved back and pick up the 302. He takes DeAndre Swift. I get my number one right, number one wide receiver, CD Lamb. I talked about it last pod. The fact that he's going at 109 is unbelievable. It's literally just based off the bias towards this shitty landing spot in Dallas when he's going to be a rookie set up to probably receive 100 targets in that offense. Um, But I feel like it was just perfect for what I wanted to do. I picked up the 302. I know how deep this receiver class is. Didn't know who was going to fall there, but I just liked taking a getting CD Lamb and then I'm going to be able to take a shot at the 302 on some some flyer. So I was so happy. Yeah, I love the the adding. I mean, you really got the 302 for free then because you weren't going to take what was there at the the 108 and and DeAndre Swift and still got your guy. So, I think that's a huge thing to to let people know about is where you can find value and know that you're still going to get your guy, unlike what happened at the 106 with Jerry Judy, just trade out. Like there's so many good, good, talented receivers in this class. Sure, some of them are going to flop, and we're going to talk about that later, about like guys that have the biggest chance to to bust or maybe not reach the potential that everybody thinks that all of these receivers are going to hit on. But at least you have another dart throw, right? Like you get your guy that you're really confident in and that you think is going to be a wide receiver one or two in your lineup and then throw another guy in there. Like Chase is going to end up getting LaVisca Chenault at 302 in this 10-man league. Like <laughs> that's insane. It's Adding value where you can to still get your guy is like that's how you win the draft. Trading back is always the answer. Um, and this draft was a good example of that. And as we go along with some of these picks and tra- trades that happened, um, one thing I want to add on to the C.D. Lamb thing, I think this is actually going to be a realistic range of where he falls now. I think that people aren't sold on the fact that quarterbacks are kind of being looked at as a lesser value, even in super flex and two quarterback leagues. I think everybody's primary focus are on these top five running backs. These top five running backs all had phenomenal landing spots outside of maybe one of them, and that would that would be Cam Akers. But even then they're they're going to give him some of some of the offense and i think there is more of um more of a push to to gain value out the gate immediately and that's what everybody's trying to push right now with these rookies and that these rookie running backs are are really you you got to have one of them you need a you need to get one of them in this draft and it's just going to push CD Lamb down especially like Chase was talking about or how everyone's feeling about CD Lamb this being a possible bad landing spot we're proving that wrong and it's just interesting. I think CeeDee Lamb sits in this 1-7 to 1-10 range, and I think that's a very realistic spot to get him now. I mean, in our draft, I thought it was going to go earlier, but I think this is a this is a good spot for him now. Um, Justin Herbert, 1-10, guys. Justin Herbert went at 1-10. I was surprised by this. We have a lot of Duck fans in this league. A lot of <laughs> Duck fans. You know, this... A lot of guys, a lot of teams that need quarterbacks as well. And he had debatably the best landing spot. We've already gone over this, but debatably the best landing spot of the three quarterbacks. And this is a massive slide to me. I think it's another example of how much how much more important these running backs are are pairing to people in these rookie drafts. Um, all I have to say is QBs and zero RB strategies and two 
quarterback super flex leagues are out and first year contract RBs are in. I think that's that's the motto now. That's that's the that's how you how how you build your team. So what do you guys think? Really, it kind of comes down to me is why he's why he slid here. Um, my two quarterbacks, really. I mean, it's a two quarterback league. You should have three starting quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. I have Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. Those are my top two, and then like my third is literally between Jacoby Brissett, who right now is a backup quarterback, and Taysom Hill, who is a backup quarterback. But for me, the value that I was getting there with CD Lamb, I couldn't pass that up. I had I never even crossed my mind to take Justin Herbert. Um, I didn't want him there. I'm not the biggest Justin Herbert guy. So I think that was part of it. I was the one sitting right there who should have, should have, could have, would have, whatever, 108, 109, Justin Herbert. So partially it's my fault. Um, and that he, I mean, he could have gone 19, but the guy owned. Um, one nine one ten i traded back no i didn't want him so it, it's not that shocking of a slide to me um considering who was in there it's really about who needs what at that point you know he's the third quarterback too so honestly when it comes down to it next year i my team is good enough to where i feel comfortable in lamar or kyler's bye week that i'm just gonna start Taysom hill i don't really give a shit like i just didn't want to spend a first round pick on my third quarterback when i already have those two guys so i think that's definitely what played into it yeah, I think team need is like the biggest thing that everybody everybody goes into the draft thinking they have to fill these certain positions. You know, for me, it was running back. For Chase, it was wide receiver. You want to get two of these guys in this class. And, you know, all these dynasty fantasy analysts are saying, like, don't buy into that. Just get best available. Like, just do your thing. Like, that, that no one fucking does that, all right? Like, you need to make your roster better. I'm not looking at this in like a – a three-year window i want to leave the draft feeling good you know and i can do that and have a good three-year window by getting running backs or getting receivers that i need to, to add to my team if i have no quarterbacks or my quarterbacks are tom brady and and aaron Rodgers, you know old but still in the league right now yeah maybe i take a qb and i hope that i have first round picks to do it but still i'm like chase said you're passing up so much talent that in a two QB league or, you know, for God's sakes, in a one QB league, that's really not going to happen. That is far greater than that. So I, I don't like blame Chase for not taking her. I don't blame anybody for not taking him in that first round. Um, the slide is real. And to see Justin Herbert go at 110. Yeah, it looks crazy. But that's just really because, you know, when all these other mocks and things like that, he's going in the first five picks. Yeah, a little a little tip for me um, in having Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray and like investing in those guys, and especially in a two quarterback league or a super flex league, get set at quarterback early because then in this scenario it it sets you up perfectly. I don't have to take Justin Herbert. I can take Ceedee Lamb. It's not forcing my hand to take quarterback. I'm set. I know I only have two of them, but I'm set. I feel like I do, I do not want to spend this pick on this quarterback. I want Ceedee Lamb. All right. Uh, so. Justin Herbert, 110. <laughs> uh, 201, Jalen Rager. Good pick. Good pick. Great 202, pick. Keyshawn Vaughn. Phenomenal pick. pick. Phenomenal pick. Man, whoever picked that, genius. Uh, he's a bot. He's not even going to make playoffs this year. Anyways, uh, <laughs> and then we prepare ourselves for the overdraft wave. And Oh, God. A tidal wave. <laughs> it's a tidal wave for sure. This... Let's just say this is the beginning of all the juicy assets that fall to the late second in leagues where guys haven't quite done the deepish research on players. 
this may still work out for this guy. I'm not I'm not bashing this pick. It, 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 there are people that love this player, but I am not one of them. T. Higgins at 203 is a reach. Um, you see the allure of T. Higgins. Joe Burrow. Um, A.J. Green's leaving soon. John Ross, fifth-year option, doesn't get picked up. But his first year, it's going to be tough. I mean, this guy is a very average athlete for his size and and to be a 6 foot 4 210 plus pound receiver in the National Football League they just kind of don't exist anymore uh most of those guys kind of gotten pushed out they the league's transitioned to speed and and size uh, overall height doesn't really push the needle when it comes to uh spreading the field on offense so um, I, I get why T. Higgins looks like a juicy piece in Cincinnati, but I think it's going to be still kind of a questionable pick at, at the 203 with guys like Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims. Um, you know, Jerry Judy realistically is this pick right here, uh, given that guys draft a little bit, you know, more properly. But uh, that's just how I feel about T. Higgins. Where are you guys at? Um kind of before T Higgins, the big now six running backs are off the board. So that's going to happen. I feel like in most leagues, you know, they should all go around the first round 201, maybe uh, 202. You know, I got lucky with Keyshawn falling to me there, but yeah, here's where again, it comes down to who's your guy. And I think the recency bias of T Higgins playing for Clemson really played a big factor into this. You know, if, if T Higgins plays in the cotton bowl or the sugar bowl or, you know, one of these, you know, if he's not in the playoff and, and doesn't get to kind of show off a little bit more where everybody's watching, I don't think T Higgins even goes here. Um, he probably doesn't end up that high with the Bengals either, but like in fantasy drafts, I think that the, the numbers and the, I, like it's shocking that Justin Jefferson didn't go here. Like <laughs> Justin Jefferson right behind Rager. It, that's how it should be in, in most of your leagues. And if it's not, what we saw was this chain reaction effect, especially with the next two guys that we're going to talk about that just set off this like blitzkrieg of people trying to text whoever had the pick to get up to try and draft Justin Jefferson and Denzel Mims. But I don't have a whole lot on C. Higgins. We've talked about him on other podcasts and on his athletic, you know, Bryce, you touched on it. He's just not that athletic for his size. He's a very average and, athlete. Very yeah, average. Dominant in college, but I don't know, Chase, maybe you got more on that. Yeah, so my, in my opinion, I think in our uh, – collectively us uh, Higgins is like a 208 kind of guy in this draft like late second um good, good pick late second i think there's two things that we didn't address that that came into uh came into play here with t higgins going at 203 first thing is that the guy who drafted t higgins at the 203 got joe burrow at the 104 was he targeting sort of that cincinnati stack um that was he attracted to that? I think that definitely played into it. You want to stack Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, sure. two rookies coming together. He gets that stack. The second thing is that he also had the 204. So in his mind, you know, he was just taking – he just had two guys to play with here is what I kind of feel like. He gets to play with the T. Higgins stack. It doesn't matter if he takes him 203, 204, whatever. He just wants to take T. Higgins for the stack, and then he took the next guy. And that next guy is Henry Ruggs, uh, 204. And I actually don't hate this pick. 
you know, I get it. Justin Jefferson is higher on our boards. Um, Denzel Mims is, is in the conversation there too. But, uh, you know, this guy at one point had Tyreek Hill, so maybe he's chasing chasing this freak athlete wide receiver who is just a, a straight burner who has all the opportunity in the world in Las Vegas. And I don't hate this pick. You know, it's a second. We're at, we're at the mid-second now, you know. Yeah. It's not that bad of a pick. Um, so I think, you know, overall – this is the range for Rucks. You know, this is where he's falling. Uh, it's similar to uh, uh, C.D. Lamb. We talked about the range he's falling into. Uh, so I actually like this pick. Uh, you know, it fits well with this guy he needed wide receivers. So um, I think in in most leagues, Henry Ruggs is going to be a first round pick. You know, he was the first overall receiver off the board. And we won some money off that in the draft. We told you it was going to happen. We didn't think it was going to be to Vegas. We thought it was going to be the Jets or or maybe the Broncos. But he was still wide receiver one off the board. So I think that appeal and, of course, the speed and and maybe people not doing a ton of research on what a burner, the life of a burner is in the NFL, is going to play a huge role into where he goes in drafts. I, I'm surprised, you know, maybe not in our league, but I'd be surprised in most leagues if he's not one of the first receivers off your board. Um, don't be tempted by that. Where he landed here at 204, on top of this guy already picking a receiver ahead of him, regardless of who it is. You know, at the end of the day, these are all kind of dart throws. You know, T. Higgins is maybe a little bit more of a project and going to be ready in the second year, but Henry Ruggs could come in and have an immediate fantasy impact. And, and Chase, you really like Henry Ruggs. Obviously, the maybe the little bit of Raider bias, but not because of that, but because of what else he has around him, right? Yeah, I think the interesting thing here to compare to is last year, um, Marquise Brown, sort of same same type of player in my opinion. Uh, I like we like Rugs better, obviously. I think he's a little more built, can do more. Mm-hmm. But Hollywood Brown was the first wide receiver off the board. Um, he went twenty uh, fifth overall last year, and then in our rookie draft, I believe he went two oh six or two oh seven. Um, and then this year, Henry Ruggs, first wide receiver off the board, but he had he had better draft capital. He went at 112, and he goes at the 204 in the circuit draft. A little better draft capital, a um, little better prospect in my opinion. So I think that 204 spot where we saw Ruggs go this year was perfect because honestly, last year I was shocked um, that Hollywood was still on the board in our rookie draft at 206. I know that the landing spot um, initially – you know, you think, well, Lamar Jackson can't throw. Baltimore's not that good. 206, That I mean, that's pretty fitting for that type of guy. So I, I agree that this was – I mean, that's just like the perfect slot for mm-hmm. Henry Ruggs. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. All right. Uh, what do we got next? Oh, we got Brandon Ayuk. This is my least favorite pick right here. Guys, My I hate this pick. I hate Brandon Ayuk. I lost money to Brandon Ayuk. Uh, it's a joke. Okay. This guy should not be going ahead of Denzel Mims, Justin Jefferson, Jordan Love, LaVisca Chenault, those types of guys. This guy should be way farther down. But he's a first round pick. I don't care if he's a first round pick. He's not the number one receiver on that team. Justin Jefferson has that upside. Uh, Denzel Mims has that upside. LaVisca Chenault even kind of has that upside. I, I like DJ Chark more, but he, he has the upside of being the guy there. And 
Brandon Ayuk is literally just a um, a serviceable player for this offense. I don't think he's better than Debo Samuel. I don't think he's going to do what Debo Samuel did in his first year. I think that, you know, I, I found out today that uh, Herm Edwards is the godparent to one of uh, of GM John Lynch's children. So maybe that played into it. Maybe Herm was like, hey, this guy's, this guy's legit. You should draft him. I don't know. I don't think that this this guy's that phenomenal. If I die on the hill of Brandon Ayuk being a stud, so be it. But there's not enough volume in this passing offense for Brandon Ayuk to succeed with Kittle and Debo there. Um, he's not an Emmanuel Sanders level talent, so that's not going to help him out either. Uh, it's just a it's just a major reach uh, for a guy yeah. that I I am not I am not in on. So. I- this pick was to kind of give it a little context of the room too. We're all going, what is this guy, you know, going to do? He's already got Jerry Judy. Um, it, it was a very panicked room, I think, because Justin Jefferson's still on the board, like 205. And this slide is this continuing, you know, deeper into the second round. Um, he finally just said, fuck it. I'm going to make the pick. And we were all like, oh, man, like you could literally feel the the chat and the Zoom call. Like everybody's locked in to see what this guy was going to do. And he took Brandon Ayuk. Like, thank God the slide continues. Um, so we're all freaking out with this this selection. And I think it took close to the full 10 minutes for him to kind of sift through all the offers he was getting and, and say no to all of them. So uh, super stressful. I don't know if that played into it or whatever. But Again, another first-round receiver. They go kind of back-to-back here, Henry Ruggs and Brandon Ayuk. Um, but before Jefferson is kind of blasphemous uh, in all of our minds. The other shocking thing is that – okay, so the best thing about Ayuk is is the coach he went to, right? Kyle Shanahan. They're going to design plays to get him the ball. Hmm. Um, the problem is is that Debo's there, and there's that – we saw it in the Super Bowl. There's going to be the, – they do the same thing. Um, there's going to be repetition with what – what Kyle Shanahan is trying to do with their, they're sort of like the same guy. And that translates over to fantasy too in this pick. And that the, this guy that took Brandon Ayuk at 205 with Denzel Mims and Justin Jefferson still on the board has Debo Samuel on his roster. And you take Brandon Ayuk. What? How? There's just that double up repetition of the same guy on the same fantasy team. How do you not take Justin Jefferson or Denzel Mims? It makes zero sense. I was jaw dropped. He's going to quit. 205 with Debo Samuel on your team is Brandon Ayuk. Hedge your bets, baby. He's going to quit listening to the show now. Uh, (laughs) Just put him on blast. We didn't put you on blast, Brian. We love you. We need you in the league. Okay. Um, this is where a trade happened. This next pick, uh, and it, I thought it was kind of, it was interesting. I won't say it's bad. I won't say it's good. Um, we had a member trade the two Oh six and carry on Johnson for a 2021 first and a 2023 10 pick. So there's a lot on the line for this pick. This, this is where I'm like, okay, he, he gave up a first. To get a, a running back and a and a three ten pick, it's not it's not phenomenal. But this is where I thought Justin Jefferson was gonna go. This was it. This is this is this is where it would happen, and it didn't. It didn't happen. This is where Denzel Mims went, and I don't hate this pick either. But once again, we're still sitting in the room, absolutely blown away that Justin Jefferson is still on the board. People are 
considering, you know, trading their firstborn um, <laughs> for the 207 because that's where he's coming up next. But let's focus on Denzel Mims. He's, you know, one of the last receivers on the board with number one wide receiver opportunity at his landing spot. People hate the landing spot. People absolutely hate it. Hate the Jets. Hate the Jets. It's not that bad, guys. He's he's going to immediately get used. Like, that's that's how I envision his, his the the first season for Denzel Mims and and he's a contested catch guy not a not a huge separator but can still do it uh, he's fast we saw that at the combine so this guy's going to be able to you know catch some of the wild Sam Darnold um, kind of throws that that he makes it's just kind of chaotic kind of a chaotic quarterback and this guy is damage control and I think that's what Denzel Mims is for for Sam Darnold so I don't hate this pick but uh, once again, Justin Jefferson's still on the board at this point. So, you know, this is where all the value sliding at this point. We're all just sitting there going, oh, my God, I want to get in the second round for for 2021. It doesn't matter where that pick's at because the people in this league just don't realize that th- this is where all the goodies are at. So uh, I'm done with uh, Denzel Mims. You guys have anything to add there? Yeah, I think if you take Adam Gase out of the picture, you kind of love Denzel Mims. Like, and that could very well be the case next season. We're playing dynasty. We're not playing seasonal. Like Denzel Mims, he might have an okay rookie year. He's not gonna make any Pro Bowl teams or anything crazy like that. But I think that Adam Gase is gonna be gone sooner rather than later. And Denzel Mims, with the draft capital that he was taken with, I mean, he's gonna be a part of this offense in two or three years. Who else is there? Robbie Anderson's gone. Jameson Crowder is the slot guy. You're going to see Denzel Mims playing outside all year with Sam Darnold. Like, hopefully that's the next great up-and-coming tandem uh, duo in the league is Darnold and Mims. And to get him at the 206, you know, I would have taken him ahead of Ruggs. I would have taken him ahead of Higgins. I would have taken him, of course, over Ayuk. Would I have taken him over Jefferson? I don't know. But then I'll ask this. For the listener, we're going to kind of pause really quick. Where the fuck do you think Justin Jefferson ended up? Because, I mean, we were freaking out. We didn't know. Was he going to fall to the third round? I mean, I was in the second, so that wasn't going to happen. But uh, it honestly could have happened. Like, to to see a trade up, we thought, okay, here it is. It's finally gone. It's over. Let's put it to bed. Justin Jefferson's off the board. But no, Denzel Mims went 206. For a, in a yeah. including a big trade too. That's what that's what yeah. was kind of shocking. Mm-hmm. And regardless of the trade, I'm not trying to roast everyone that was on the clock and didn't do what I <laughs> what I would have done. But I feel like I did a really good job and have done of sort of managing your way around the draft. Regardless of the trade that went down, I just don't see how you can trade out of that pick with Justin Jefferson on the board. Talked about Joe Burrow falling to 104 and just counting your blessings and just soaking up the value that you get there. I just don't see how with Justin Jefferson at the 206, I mean, he he's worth an early second. People will take him in the late first. He's a lot of people's wide receiver two now in this class because of landing spot. I just don't feel comfortable trading out of that pick. Um, I know that the deal was okay, but regardless of the deal, man, I'm just taking Justin Jefferson. If he falls to me at 206, there's not, I didn't have a dream about that weeks before the draft. And now it's here in front of me and I trade out of it. Come on. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and finally, finally get there since we've been bitching about it for about oh my God, 30 it minutes. Finally happened. Uh, Justin Jefferson, 207 <laughs> best pick in the draft. We gave to this guy automatically. He didn't even have to have a great draft 
this pick makes up for all of it. it you win matter. the draft. You win the draft with that pick. It's just no player slid as much as Justin Jefferson did in our draft. And there's going to be that guy in every single one of your rookie drafts that falls way farther than he should, and you're just trying to scoop it up. The amount of action this this owner was getting for this pick was ridiculous. People were op- offering up first. People were offering up starters. Um, so, yeah, we. I mean, what else? Have we, I think we've said everything we needed to say about <laughs> Justin Jefferson already. Uh, we've been talking about it every goddamn pick. Oh, he he didn't go here. He's coming up. He's coming up. We just kept saying that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, this is my number two wide receiver post uh, NFL draft. It's hard not to like the, this guy in this offense. It's it's just too good. Personally, I offered. I sent. I sent two offers. I offered a first. I'll be at a twenty twenty two first. But still, at that point where it's like two oh seven. 2022 first kind of a wash i'd rather have justin jefferson that's why i offered it that got declined and then i also offered Le'Veon bell straight across for the 207 now if you say that pre-draft hey i'll give you Le'Veon bell for the 207 that's a smash right for Le'Veon bell i don't care that he's 28 years old you're getting a potential rb1 rb2 you're gonna play him in your flex all the time whatever you can hate Le'Veon Bell or whatever but pre-draft you're taking the 207 or you're taking Le'Veon Bell for the 207 so I literally offered that and that got declined completely understand why guy takes Justin Jefferson perfect pick you win the draft and it fell into your lap like I don't know man like I just I wanted to I was willing to give I offered McCole Hardman actually too that was another one and he's my boy but like when you when you compare them side by side by side, would you rather have Justin Jefferson or McCole Hardman? You'd rather have Justin Jefferson. What was am- amazing about this is this is basically like this guy. This was his first pick. This was his first pick in the draft. The two oh seven. He didn't trade up. He just sat there and waited. And Justin Jefferson fell all the way down the ladder, all the way hitting every fucking rung on the way down, <laughs> and he ended up going at two oh seven. For God's sakes. And that's basically like this guy having a a first round pick, a yep. 108 to 110, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then it didn't matter what he did in the draft. Like to not have any picks in the first round in the first 16 picks of the draft and you end up with this guy. I mean, we'll talk about what he does up next is he he had 207, 209, 210. Um but yeah, just crazy to get him where he landed, of course. And I don't think that with all the buzz that this guy has now, and talking about Justin Jefferson and being the number two there, and Thielen's old, and you know he's replacing Diggs, all that stuff. It's it's a goldmine, right? I don't think that this is normal. I don't think that you know people play team need this much. I don't think Denzel Mims goes ahead of Justin Jefferson that often. Um, he is going to be a first round pick. He is going to be an early, early second. So our draft is the outlier. But <laughs> I, as you said, Bryce, there are going to be guys, maybe CD Lamb, you know, that that start to fall and fall into the mid second that have no business being there. And if you're in that position, just take the guy. Don't listen to the offers. They're all bullshit unless it's a godfather thing that sets you up for the future or the now. And and just take the guy like be done with it. So great pick. All right, it's uh, finally time to roast Kevin. Uh, what? <laughs> we're moving on to Brian Edwards at the 208. 
I think mm-hmm. we all know how much Chase likes Brian Edwards, and I think this is where we knew the room type of situation. Kevin knew, Kevin knew that Chase was sitting there at three o two, just lurking, waiting for Brian Edwards to fall the way. And instead of instead of picking a player that was much better than Brian Edwards, in fact, there were a couple players. Kevin decides to reach for Brian Edwards just to spite Chase, just to do it to him. And he felt he felt great about it. He was laughing the whole time. We muted our computers so that Chase couldn't hear. Kevin was crying, laughing so hard because he because he got Chase on this one. Uh, to me, uh, I don't think Edwards is the best player on the board at this point. I personally would have rather taken Jordan Love. I think from about pick two hundred six onwards, I was trying to get Jordan Love, and I was doing whatever I could to to reach out because I could stash him. I was okay with stashing him at that point. So I wanted Jordan Love. I thought that was a better value. Um, I also think LaVisca Chenault is a riskier upside pick, but still something I'd rather have than Brian Edwards. Not Nothing against Brian Edwards. I do like him. He's going to have a chance to succeed in, a, in a Las Vegas. But I think this is this is a reach for me. But I like it because at the same time, Kevin, you got your guy. So it's not ultimately that bad. I don't think it was bad at all, and it, it wasn't really to spite Chase. You know, we talk about all these guys so much, and and Chase being a Raider fan only added to his resume for me that was, this guy's going to fall, and I want to be in prime position to to get him if he does end up falling to where I think he he's valued at, which is a 208. And if this guy goes to the combine and doesn't break his foot and tests and does all the right things, yeah, he's probably going way higher in the NFL draft too. Like Oakland is, or Oakland, Jesus, how many times are we going to do that this year? Vegas and Gruden and those guys are pumped to get him where they got him. So and it adds into the rugs value and all that stuff. He's got an opportunity to be an outside wide receiver one, super talented, did like basically everything but deep ball opportunities um, at South Carolina. And I love to get him there. It, it didn't matter who was up next. You know, I have three quarterbacks. So again, it kind of goes back to the Justin Herbert thing we were talking about. I could give a shit about Jordan Love. Like he's gonna be ready in what two, three, four years, maybe. I'm not I'm not playing that far out. I'm I'm trying to accelerate this rebuild as best I can. And I felt like Brian Edwards gave me the best chance to do that. The the upside with LaVisca, I totally see everybody does, especially going to the Jags and the opportunity that he has. But I think the injuries and, and him not playing as much as I'd like him to, as I talk about an injured receiver in Brian Edwards just was too much for me in Chanel. Yeah, full disclosure, when I accepted that trade to trade back from the 108 to the 109 and picked up the 302, I put my feet up and my pick at 302 was Brian Edwards. That was like the one guy that I thought was going to be left on the board that I wanted. And then when Kevin took him at 208, oh my gosh, you're saying it wasn't despite me. I saw the look on yeah, your face. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He, he <laughs> I saw the look on yeah. your face, but it ended up working out for me. So Yeah, I mean, I don't think they're – I don't think that we hate Brian Edwards. Just, you know, I think you're right. The 302 seems like the right spot for him to be drafted. Um, 209 was Zach Moss. Hated this pick. Um, This was the guy that couldn't go wrong in the draft because he got Justin Jefferson. I'm not a Zach Moss guy, um, but I see the allure of wanting to get uh, as many running backs as possible. I would have preferred A.J. Dillon. An Antonio Gibson, you know, right here. Once again, this is a Jordan Love pick for me, pretty easily. Um, I, I was even interested in Joshua Kelly. I, I, I would have taken Jalen Hurts. I, I, I don't want to have. I will not draft 
Zach Moss in any draft that I that I participate in in 2020 onwards. It will not happen. I don't care if he turns into an RB1. won't happen. He's not going to be, but I'm just saying, hypothetically, there's no way I'm drafting Zach Moss. He's a, he's a bot. To be fair, though, like, this was the best running back available on the board. I get the Josh Kelly stuff, whatever, but, like... You for, like him more than A.J. Dillon? Yeah, kind of. I mean, like, opportunity-wise, for sure. Definitely. Like... There's three guys there. There's two guys in, in Buffalo now. Like, Frank Gore's gone. Singletary's not that good. Moss is at least going to get goal line touches because they don't use Singletary there. They didn't last year. So, I mean, I get what you're saying. The athletic profile is horrible, and he was slow at the combine, all that stuff. But he's pretty damn good at Utah. And for a team that traded what he did, he this guy traded Saquon Barkley earlier this offseason. He needed a running back. So, I mean, flip a coin. You want A.J. Dillon or you want Zach Moss? You want fucking... I mean, I guess you could have taken Antonio Gibson here, but like then you'd be saying that that's a reach you know, here. So for a team that needed running back, yeah, he probably should have traded up and gotten one of the big six, but he didn't. So we took what was available to him at 209, and you know it was it happened to be Zach Moss, which, I mean, we don't like the player, but you got to do what you got to do. The 210 was Michael Pittman. I think that's a, that's a fine pick, right? Uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that are big Pitt- Pittman stands. Um We'll talk a little bit about Pittman later uh, more in depth. Um, so we move on to 301. This is where Jordan Love lands. This is my second favorite pick of the draft. Like a team moved up into the first round to draft him. Like they're going to use him. There's no doubt that at some point, maybe not this year, it'll probably be year two. I think this is going to be a, pa- a similar Patrick Mahomes type of route for the Packers and Jordan Love. And even if Jordan Love doesn't have that kind of potential, I think they've kind of showed their hand with the quarterback situation in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers is not going to be there much longer. I think the only way that they somehow hold on to him is if he wins them a Super Bowl. That's To me, that's the only way. They didn't really add anything else at positions they needed to add at. And so I think for a third-round pick, the 301, Jordan Love is is going off the board here. That's that's a that's a pretty damn good spot for this kind of player, especially in a two quarterback super flex league. Like you literally just can't go on, go wrong. Like the upside of hitting on Jordan Love will return you three times the value, four times the value. So that's just where I'm at with that pick. What, do you guys have anything to add to that? I think if you're in position to be able to just to stash him there, then there's not a better pick in the third round in a two quarterback league or super flex league than Jordan Love. Okay. All right. Chase has just wanted to get to his 302 pick of uh, LaVisca Chanel. I, I, say, that's, that's I said he... not a better pick in the third round other than this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, so Brian Edwards off the board. I was really disappointed in Edwards going off the board because Chenault should have been gone by the 302. And after him, there was really no one else that I wanted to target. I thought that Chenault could go at 209 or 301. And that at that point at 302... I liked Antonio Gibson. Maybe I go Jalen Hurts. Maybe I trade out or whatever. But LaVisca Chenault, um, the fact that he fell there to me was was mind-boggling. Uh, he has elite physical abilities that can't be taught. So the first time that I watched A.J. Brown play, it stuck out to me how massive this dude was. You can just see like his dominating presence. Um, it re- like Honestly, he's lining up in the slot. Out- he's like jumping off the screen. It, it was unbelievable. A.J. Brown is six foot two twenty six. LaVisca Chenault is 6'1", 227. 
So LaVisca Chenault's bigger. Saquon Barkley is six foot two thirty-three. Chenault is literally built like one of the best running back prospects ever. Um, he's a skilled receiver who put up a thousand yard season as a sophomore in only nine games. LaVisca's best comparable player, AJ Brown. So the health is the concern. He's banged up all the time. He had surgery after the combine. He ran a four five eight at the combine which still at that size was good for his 78th percentile speed score. Um, in my opinion, that he would have touched the four fours if he was healthy. He had uh, a core muscle injury and um, an inflamed pubic bone that he ran with at the combine. So, I mean, that kind of makes up for that. And, you know, for me to get him in the third round, has there ever been, I'm, I'm saying this exaggerating, has there ever been a better third round pick in the history of the world of a rookie draft than the Visca Chanel? The dude went to insane draft capital for, for the health concerns and whatever. He went 210 in the NFL draft. Um, that's great capital. D- Doug Marone, their, the Jags coach, said that they plan to use him all over the place, including wildcat quarterback, running back, and tight end. And he averaged 6.7 yards per carry at Colorado. I just get so pumped about this guy thinking about where I got him and how high his ceiling is. Um, we joked too that with his size and how good he is at football, Raquel Armstead and Divino Zigbo, they're not Leonard Fournette's handcuffed. It's LaVisca Chenault. Totally. I think the the beauty in this is like he's gonna be on the field all the time. You know, when he's healthy. You just listed it off. Wildcat tight end. I mean, Jesus, he's going to be in jumbo packages. Maybe he's going to be in there at goal line to like fade out into the corner and stuff. Like that's going to be really nice to have. So I don't I mean, Chase, you touched on it all, but like, yes, LaVisca Chanel falling to the three Oh two is a pretty juicy pick. It's a great, it's a great pick. And I think this is a good opportunity to just maybe dive into some of the players that we think that are going to bust. And I have LaVisca Chanel as one of them. Uh, I do like, I, going to say I do like you know LaVisca Chenault uh, with his capital and the amount of talent that and, and possible potential that he has in Jacksonville um, I, I want him to be as successful just as much as the next guy the problem is is the injury history is a little concerning and and one other thing that I'm not that thrilled about is how dynamic he is at so all these positions you know you see so many players over the years that can do can do multiple things and play multiple multiple positions and they don't really pan out uh both in the NFL or really fantasy as a whole. Julian Edelman is one of the few guys that was able to play multiple positions or transition from one to another and and you know do it efficiently and and I I do get worried with players that play running back and play wide receiver and have played quarterback at one time. Like Lynn, you know, Lynn Bowden's in a good example. Like these, these just super dynamic players that on an NFL field and scheme make a lot of sense to throw a curveball at a team. But I don't know if the volume is always there. Um, I would rather have a player that's one position where he's perfecting his craft at that position versus a guy that's gotten hurt quite a bit in the last couple of years and is playing with a quarterback who is basically a dart throw that the Jags got lucky on. Um, and it's not like that team is great at all. I mean, DJ Chark's a nice piece. Leonard Fournette's a good player too. But I think that offense is going to sh- to struggle, uh, I, honestly. And I, I think LaVisca has, has just, just the route of uh, the route to success 
for me, it just looks a little bit rougher for LaVisca. I think there's a lot more adversity he's going to have to battle through to, to, to be an effective player in fantasy football and the NFL. So that's just where I'm at with LaVisca. Uh, let's go over our next possible bust player, and that's Cam Akers. Now, me and Chase had a long conversation off off air about Cam Akers and, and, and Todd Gurley and the Rams and just the whole situation in general. I'm going to let Chase tell you what he told me uh, on the phone because it's really interesting uh, what he was able to dig up. So it's not Cam Akers like the prospect that we hate. The issue is here is what happens when Cam Akers is getting buried into the turf behind the line of scrimmage in the backfield for three years? It's pretty scary. Uh, PFF, Pro Football Focus, had the LA Rams graded as the second worst offensive line in 2019, graded only ahead of the Miami Dolphins. Oh, okay, so you're telling me that the Rams, they they just added some more linemen in the draft, right? Nope. They didn't have a first because they wanted to have an elite corner in Jalen Ramsey. And their first pick in the 2020 draft was Cam Akers. And then five picks after that, they backed it up with Van Jefferson. It's basically a 24-year-old receiver who didn't test at the combine, has a 15th percentile breakout age. His best college season was 49 receptions for 650 yards and was probably a fourth or fifth round prospect. He also plays very similar to Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, uh, according to Sean McVay. So they, you know, they just really needed another guy like that. The interesting thing here is Ezra Cleveland, a tackle from Boise State that was projected to go in the first round, went literally the pick after um, Cam Akers to Minnesota. He was still on the board. They passed up on him. They took Van Jefferson. And then after that, Denzel Mims went to New York. So they passed up on Ezra Cleveland and Denzel Mims for Van Jefferson. Their first O-line pick came in the seventh round of the draft. Well, it's just fine, right? They just did this because they took – they took care of their O-line before the NFL draft and NFL free agency, right? No. All they did in free agency was re-sign their shit O-line. 38-year-old Andrew Whitworth and Austin Blythe. That's all they did. They, they re-signed their 31st overall ranked O-line. What did Miami do? Oh, Miami spent two or – yeah, they spent two of their first three picks, one in the first, one in the early second on O-line. That's how you rebuild the O-line. You rank 32nd, you invest in it. LA did nothing. They did nothing. Go finish fourth in the in the NFC West. I could fucking care less. Yeah, we kind of talked about that a little bit in our, our text today. We're always talking about whatever's going on in the league. And Chase is like, is there a world where the Rams finished last in the NFC West? And yes, there is. And probably greater chances than Arizona, Seattle, maybe San Fran. Chase, you had the hot take, and maybe you've thrown money on it, that San Fran can finish last in the division. Um, Seattle, Arizona, L.A., and then San Francisco. But, I mean, they didn't really do anything. They got a running back to replace Gurley, but Gurley had a pretty good fantasy year. I mean, it, it, it's just a weird draft for them and free agency for them. I don't know, maybe – Maybe they're thinking they can just run it back with what got them to the Super Bowl, but a lot has changed there. No more Brandon Cooks either. So, um, yeah, there's a world where the Rams finished last in the NFC West, but that division's so competitive. Like things change so often in there that shit, Seattle could be last. Like it, any standings wouldn't surprise me in the NFC West, but the Rams being there, that kind of sounds like it's trending in that direction. The narrative that I hate that's attached to Cam Akers right now is that. Because he ran behind a poor offensive line, 
in Florida State that because the Rams' offensive line is so poor that he's just going to be able to translate that to the NFL. Guys, that's not how it works. Um, the, the, the world's best play in the NFL. And if you have a piss-poor O-line in the NFL, you're going to get eaten alive as a running back. Look at Todd Gurley, for example, his first two years with Jeff Fisher in, in St. Louis. That line was terrible. And Todd Gurley didn't do anything his first two years. He was on people's trading blocks after year two because people were concerned that he was never going to be fantasy relevant. And he is a far superior talent than to to Cam Akers. So when we're talking about landing spot, possible bust option, this has got to be on our, he's got to be on our list. Unfortunately, we liked what we saw at the combine. um, But unfortunately that's not good enough, you know, and, and McVay's even came out and said, we feel really good about the three backs that we have. So there's no guarantee that Akers is lined up for, you know, bell cow opportunities. And in fantasy, he's, you know, there's three backs that are on a roster that are all going to be touching the ball. It's going to be pretty hard. It's going to be pretty hard. Um, next on the list, I already dug into Brandon Ayuk, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that one alone. Um, I guess we've kind of dug into all these guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Pittman. Why Why do I think Michael Pittman could be a possible bust? I I don't know. I th- I think this was the most difficult player I put on this list to to argue against to be a uh, to to be a bust. I think what I what really stands out to me is really just the one year of college production at USC, and he played all four years, and and, and really one year uh, that mattered, and that was his senior season. These guys just have such a dramatically lower hit rate when they play all four years in college. And that's what I'm trying. That's what I'm focused on right now. It has nothing to do with the landing spot. I think the landing spot's fine. Um, but that team's going to go through a quarterback change, and that always affects the wide receivers, of course, um, after after Rivers leaves because he's not going to be there forever. Uh, they love Michael Pittman, but they also love Paris Campbell last year. So I don't know. I, I'm not as sold to Michael Pittman as a lot of people are in the fantasy community. I wish I could buy into it. I, I'm just not there yet. Michael Pittman is is interesting. Um, draft capital, really good. Um, I think that's the the thing that sticks out to me is, you know, he was the second receiver in the second round, and and we were throwing money on him being the first receiver in the second round. So the Colts got him and Taylor uh, early in the second. I just see, I don't know, maybe they're worried about Paris Campbell and the injuries, but. If not, I mean, Paris plays the slot, T-wide, kind of aging outside guy. Throw Pittman on the outside, too. He can kind of play all over the place from what I've seen. And in his senior season, you know, I we cut it out of a podcast a few weeks ago where I was like, Michael Pittman's been good for a while. It's because his senior season was that good. Like, we're out here, we're out west. We see all these games all the time. We watch the Pac-12 a lot. Michael Pittman was relevant in, like, every USC game this past year. So, to me, he just stood out as, like, that guy's fucking good. And they rewarded him with that draft capital. You know, they want him on their team. They want him to be a part of the offense. So Phillip Rivers, is is he going to make Michael Pittman good this year? Probably not. But in Dynasty, you know, especially where you can get him at the end of the second or third round in in most drafts, I think that that's a really great value for 
you know, the, the future of Michael Pittman, if you're going to get him, you, you kind of go into that thinking I can hang on to him for a while. And if something happens to T Y and you know what we saw with Paris Campbell last year, sky's the limit for him in this first year. So I think the Philip Rivers thing hurts him in year one. But after that, we'll see with Michael Pittman. I, I think that they're the, the bust opportunity for year one is high, but after that. Yeah. So further and deeper than even the draft capital, is the fact that they took him before they took Jonathan Taylor. Um, You could say they wanted Michael Pittman more on their team than Jonathan Taylor, and we love Jonathan Taylor. And fantasy football loves Jonathan Taylor. So that's interesting. But, Bryce, I'm with you guys. I just don't see it. Um, It took him four years to reach 1,000 yards in the Pac-12. His best season ever came as a senior. He adds no versatility and has no dynamism that I like to see in my receivers. You know, there's just nothing there that jumps out at me that says you're the second overall pick um, in the second round of the NFL draft. So we've already kind of dug into T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, Henry Ruggs, LaVisca Chenault. Is there a, a guy that on my list that you either highly disagree with or is there a guy that you 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 t- completely support? If so, uh, let's let's hear it because I think I think I nailed this list. I think this is all pretty pretty realistic because somebody's got to be bad. We we've, we've we've got to make a decision. Not all these guys going to hit. This is the list I've came up with. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, not not ragging on you because I know you just traded for him, but there are concerns for DeAndre Swift too, right? Like we talked about Cam Akers and and the team is bad there. Well, the team's bad in Detroit too. And on top of that, there's almost more competition in a guy that they would like to be successful in carry on Johnson. So I get the draft capital. It's weird that he wasn't a first round pick, according to to Nicole Hardman, his former teammate at Georgia. But, you know, DeAndre Swift was everybody's Devi guy and everybody's number one guy heading, you know, two years ago for this draft class is like bona fide number one. Nobody else is going to be there. And, you know, where he went in our draft, it. I mean, shit, what was he, the third or fourth running back? So, I mean, I'm worried about DeAndre Swift because he's in Detroit. And they don't seem to do anything right year in and year out. And maybe he's the answer. But I think it's like a 50-50. I could see DeAndre Swift not being successful in the NFL, despite all the great things that he does and the player that he is and, and was in college. It just sucks that he ended up going to the fucking Lions of all places. And we were dreaming of him being in KC. We were dreaming oh. of him being, you know, a, a bell cow for Dude. one of these dynamic Baltimore. Flip him with Dobbins. Like, oh my I god! I don't know about that. I actually, I love Dobbins there. I, I'm, I'm. Speaking of which, they you just, would like Dobbins more than DeAndre Swift in Baltimore. I think Dobbins has the ability to carry more of a load than DeAndre Swift can. I think that Dobbins has the exact kind of profile I would, I'm looking for in a guy that. Dobbins had three over 300 carries last year. Did DeAndre Swift? No. No, he did not. Dobbins had 2,000 yards last season. Did DeAndre Swift? No. The only way you can get there is with that opportunity, the volume. And he will get that in Baltimore. And the GM, 48 hours after saying that it would be disrespectful for them to not draft Dobbins at the pick that they did, they came out today and said that he has every ability to become a three-down back. So, I am just all in on J.K. Dobbins now. I'm super glad I picked him, but I think that there is just a good of a chance that J.K. Dobbins finishes 
as the top rookie running back of this class as Jonathan Taylor or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. All three of those guys, can make, you can make a case for finishing ahead of the other two at this point. So my guy is a guy that wasn't on your list, and it is wide receiver Chase Claypool. Not tight end, wide receiver <laughs> nice. Chase Claypool. No, he's not going early in rookie drafts, but this guy was the 17th overall pick in the second round of the 2020 NFL draft. I actually placed a bet on him. It was like plus 3,000, and I considered this close enough. Obviously, I didn't win money, but I thought that there would be a team that falls in love with just his athleticism and overdrafts him. He's 6'4", 240. That's literally the build of like Evan Ingram, who is a top whatever dynasty, top seven, top eight, depends on who you who you ask, tight end. He needs to move to tight end. He's not going to. The Steelers, they're going to use him as a wide receiver. Um, they fell in love with his athleticism, 4'4", 240 at 6'4", 240, 99th percentile speed score, whatever. Spend your second-round pick on Chase Claypool. His Literally his best comparable player on player profile is to the bot himself, Doreal Green Beckham. <laughs> Wait, wait, what? Chase Claypool is comped to Doreal Green Beckham. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Elite. God. See, it's the same thing as Claypool. It's the same thing. Or sorry, as Pittman. It's the same thing as Pittman. I just don't see it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's literally the exact same scenario. He played for Notre Dame. It took him until his senior year to put up a thousand yards and... I mean, it's it's just a team falling in love with the athleticism. He's clearly not good at like football. It's just he jumps off the jumps off the page and he's fast. It's the stupid shit that we see every single year. I thought he could be the first receiver off the board. I was close. I think he was probably fourth. Um, I don't remember exactly the order, but I think it was Higgins, Pittman, Chenault, Claypool. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's too early. I think he's horrible. I'm not a Chase Claypool. Guy. But what I love about it is, is like Pittsburgh fans call it, boy, we know how to draft receivers. Like, yeah, stop it. Stop. Like, you got lucky. <laughs> you got lucky. And there, here it ends with Claypool bursting into flames. Oh, no. Just watch out, Juju. And he's he's going to play outside, and he needs to line up on the line of scrimmage and get lined <laughs> up with the freaking linebacker and run his 4-4-2. Then he actually might be effective. Yes. He'd have been the first tight end off the board. He would be if he was tight end. He'd be the, yeah, he'd be the number one tight end in the class. Cole Komet. It's great serious? for uh, great for Deontay God. Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster stock because I don't think Claypool yeah. is a difference maker either. Everyone says Juju's going to leave after this year. They're not going to pay him. Who knows about that? Is his replacement Chase Claypool? God, I hope not. Jesus, Chase Claypool. Good God. All right, so yeah, we've got another draft coming up, and then it's it's going to be a long wait, boys. I, I I don't know how we're going to make it. I think this is all we got. This is what's going to get us through the next few months. Um, it's looking like things are reopening, and there's a good chance this football season is going to kick off when it's supposed to. Uh, hopefully, that might be a little premature to say that, but. It's yeah, trending. schedule comes out tomorrow. Yeah, it's trending. We're recording this on Wednesday the 6th. Oh, by the way, happy birthday to a couple of people. My mother, it's her birthday today, May the 6th. And our favorite tight end prospect, Foster Moreau. <laughs> it's also his birthday today. Also, Willie Mays' birthday, May 6th. Wow. It's, a, it's a pretty important day, yeah. It's a big day. Mrs. Nelson. 
Yes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, mom. If she's listening. Um, happy, happy birthday, Foster. Yeah. Happy birthday, Foster. Yeah. So in a couple of weeks, we'll have another dynasty rookie draft. A little bit bigger. 12 team. Uh, super flex. Not 2QB, though. So uh, should be interesting to see what guys do. And, and a bunch of guys that you know we don't have in this other Buffalo Dip League and, and some guys that we do. So a lot of the same tendencies, I think, can be revealed from draft to draft but of course that slide that we talked about is is going to be pretty prevalent so we'll catch you guys up with all that stuff that happens in the next couple of weeks but as always go check us out on social media at tutty talk uh to kind of keep the conversation going um had a great clip chase's rip on cd lamb and and kind of our rankings and stuff uh, are always going to be filling up those feeds so follow us there we'll see you guys next week